I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. Okay, welcome back to It's the Journey. So today I'm recording what will be the 18th episode at almost the end of April, which means we're almost a third of the way through 2021, which is pretty nutty. Uh, I got my vac- I got my first vaccine last Friday, so I'll get my second one on May 7th, and I read yesterday that about 41% of the country has had at least their first dose, which is exciting that we're getting close to the end of that. So just wanted to, I wanted to touch on that because it's, you know, when, when, when the vaccine people ask me how I felt, I'm like, I just feel like I'm going to be in a social studies book because this, this, is, this is history. So that's exciting. But that's not the point of today's conversation. Uh, today, I'm talking with uh, a friend of mine, Jack Davis. Uh, Jack was my first landlord ever when I started my business back in 2003, which is crazy because, you know, my youngest son was born then, so he's almost 18, which means that was, you know, uh, uh, 18 years ago, a lifetime for a little kid, um, which is crazy. But anyway, Jack, uh, I, had, I, I rented a space in a building of his in Kirkwood, Missouri, and he was a great landlord. He was so easy and great to work with. He had an awesome team that took care of everything and was also just very generous with his time. Over over the years, I would come to him with questions as I was thinking about, you know, possibly buying a building or things like that. And he taught me a lot of things and I ended up actually not buying a building, but the things that I learned from that helped me make what I feel like were better decisions in my my personal home real estate uh, situation that then freed up time to do other things I wanted to do in life, freed up time and money. Uh, and a lot of that's what I discussed in, in, uh, afterlife in the chapters about, uh, the American dream kind of stuff. So today, um, and you know, homeownership is such a big part of American life and it consumes a lot of our lives and time and money. So I thought it would be important to dive into some of that. So this is not a conversation about in, in investing or uh, financial planning, but more philosophies about about some things with to, that have to do with real estate that I think will be helpful for you. So, with all that, let's meet Jack. Jack, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Carlo. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. Uh, so you were you were one of the first people I asked to. Um, to read my book, to, to do the to do a, um, a recommendation or endorsement or things like that, and um, that was part of that was because you know the conversations we had, I respected your opinion and I knew um, I was hoping that it would that would that would kind of um, resonate with you, uh, especially since some of the things I some of the things I was able to do in my life came from conversations we had. Um, but in, on the back of the book or where it says your name behind that says entrepreneur. 
which is a real mysterious thing for many people. So, <laughs> uh, so is, if it's all right, let's kind of dive in a little bit into like what that what that is for you and your journey and how you kind of decided to do what you do. Uh, if I, if we could do that, yeah, sure. Um, well, I'd say I'm an entrepreneur because as I've through my career now of about 35 to 40 years. I've switched hats so many times. I, I don't know that there's one description. There's a common element to all of it that's uh, real estate, but it really has evolved over the years. So when um, I first got out of college, I was out looking for a job. It was in the mid 80s. I had a degree that was a business degree, but it's about as generic as everyone else's. <laughs> and I couldn't find a job. So the default was to go to business for myself. So I went out and got a real estate license and started just brokering properties and mainly in St. Charles. I worked a lot with home builders, uh, finding them properties and worked with farmers. So it was a great experience. And from there, it evolved over those years to uh, developed uh, property management. That was some of my interactions with you and then. Uh, was in the home building business for about 10 or 15 years. And then pretty much then after that, focused mainly on commercial. And that's basically where I've ended up at this point is uh, just uh, different uh, properties, mostly in like office and retail. Okay. Okay, cool. So out of college, you're looking for a job and that was the necessity. Was there something in you from before that that, that gave you the confidence of saying, well, I'm just going to do this myself? Is that generally that doesn't... In my experience, usually it doesn't come out of the blue. So, like, was there something <laughs> something before that that they gave you the confidence of, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I can do this. Uh, a little bit. I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a different field than it was related field. It was in the title business, but it was something that related to real estate. And I always just kind of felt like uh, I had this very strong feeling, even at a young age, that if I were ever going to do my own thing. I would be better off to try it at a younger age, such that if I fell on my face, I would have plenty of time to get back up and find another career if that was needed. So I guess I just realized that it would be risky. I knew not having a paycheck every other week would be something that would be a struggle. Uh, But I had basically, you know, I wasn't married, didn't have kids. So I just, to me, it seemed like an ideal time. So I do kind of recall looking back on it and realizing that like, hey, if you're ever going to do this, really, I mean, a lot of people kind of look for experience and then try and do something on their own. I kind of took a different path thinking, I'll see if I can figure this out uh, and then, you know, look at my options once I get there. But, uh, but you know, fortunately for me, it worked out. As I mentioned, it, it did require a little bit of, you know, wearing a lot of different hats and shifting gears at different times. But I thought it served me well. It, it just kept giving me different experiences. And so, yeah, so I, I don't know that I really, you know, like I said, I, I didn't really go into it thinking I would fail for sure. But I also kind of just had this like, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen kind of attitude, you know. And so uh, that's kind of where I came from. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> that's, that's a, that's a some, somewhat similar to my path of kind of when I went into financial planning, but that that it was a it was a way to start a business that didn't require huge amounts of capital. It was a sweat equity. And I did, I, you know, like if you're like, if you're 20 and you're like, I'm going to start, you know, a chain of pizza restaurants, you better have a whole lot of money 
to, to, to just start to start even a even a food truck could cost you thousands and thousands of dollars in the kitchen and capital and then you have to have employees and all the things like that where so there are some businesses that you can get started started in that don't require you know you get a, you have to get a license and pass the test and then after that you just got to work your tail off um yeah exactly i kind of felt the same way it was just like all, all i have is my time mm-hmm. and if i can somehow figure out how to monetize my time and i felt the same way exactly you hit it on the head it was just like i don't have to go out and sign a lease i don't have to go out and buy equipment or you know uh it was just like yeah you just go out and see if you can sell your service yeah so it was it was a lot better yeah yeah i mean literally like when I started, I got out of school, it was like the nineties and coffee shops were getting to be the thing. And I start looking into that. And then I start talking to owners in, uh, was it Ann Gallardo over in, uh, Clayton. Uh, I talked to her and she told me how, how many hours she was there and the work and, and the, and then I, she, we didn't get into the finances, but I just start looking around going, I can't afford any of these things. So <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't. And yeah, so um, and then that idea too of just, you know, like you said, you know, you're, you don't, when you're not married and you don't have this big overhead, you don't have a lot of needs. So you're, it's easy to take a risk like that. Cause yeah, you didn't borrow a bunch of money to do it and it's, it's your time, which if you were, Hey, if you had a job, you'd be given to somebody else anyway. Yeah. And there was one other thing I kind of recall now too, thinking back on it is that I also had this like feeling, I knew a lot of guys that, uh, that I was buddies with in college that had gotten out and had gotten some pretty good jobs, engineering jobs, accounting jobs, and they were making good money. But the concept to me that always was a, another, you know, was very alluring was the, the idea that I could make as much money as, as I, as, as I could kind of create or work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it obviously goes both ways. You can make absolutely nothing, uh, and have spent a lot of hard time and effort. And, but I always kind of was like very intrigued by the fact of like, Hey, you know what, if, if I can really make this work, there's, I can make as much money as is possible for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I always kind of like, I, I, I just had this feeling too, that, seeing a lot of people that went into the corporate world that it, it was kind of like this, you know, this is rabbit trap of, of getting on these treadmills and running hard and hoping your boss liked you. And, and I just kind of felt like that was putting my fate into too many uh, unknowns. And so I just, I also, that was another thing that I, as I think back now is thinking of being an entrepreneur that I was like, yeah, you know why not? You know, I mean, uh, maybe I'll make twelve thousand this year, but you know, maybe next year I'll make sixty or something. So I, I justified a lot of it in my mind by knowing that the startup would be brutal, uh, and it was. Uh, I didn't make hardly any money my first year or second year. I think it wasn't until my third year that I felt like I made enough money to basically live off of. Mm-hmm. But um, but I could see the prog- progress. So too, I knew, you know, it wasn't much, but you know. I made nine thousand dollars my first year and twelve thousand the next year. And but back then, you know, a thousand dollars a month was enough to go get a few beers. And you know, I mean, I just didn't have that many costs of, for my living. My my parents didn't let me stay at home very long, but um, but I mean, I, I remember my apartment was three hundred ninety bucks, so it worked. Right, so. right. And uh, having whatever sense of internal confidence or or drive 
to be, all right, well, you know, I, I had this year, I didn't make as much money as I wanted to, but I'm making progress. And you're, you're, not everybody would have that. They might be embarrassed that, you know, oh, my friends, my friends have this kind of a car or th they already bought a house. I hear, I hear so many of my younger friends from, from different parts of my life that, that are, they start comparing about where, where people are and, and judging their own life by that. And some, you know, it sounds like you had that sense of what, what you wanted your future to be. So you were okay working toward that for, for a period of years. Yeah. And I, you know, and I have to confess too, though, you know, I had a dad that was an example and he had been very successful. He, he had done uh, a similar type of thing. He probably started his own business when he was in his mid thirties. So a little later than I was doing it, but, um, but he had been extremely successful. So, um, you know, there was definitely a part of me that was thinking that I wanted to emulate my dad uh, and that there was these big rewards that would be down the road. So I was using my dad as a model. That's great. Um, and it was, but, you know, as is with most things, uh, there was a, there's a point in my life anyway where that kind of all fell apart and, and really kind of had me back up to kind of question um trying to follow in somebody else's footsteps though too. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it was a big turning point in my life. Um, so this was, I had probably been working for myself for about, I don't know, maybe six or seven years. And as I mentioned, you know, my dad had been very successful and that I actually, you know, honestly um, opened a lot of doors for me. I mean, when I was first starting, there were a lot of people that I met that were good friends of him, his that let me, uh, do things with them, work for them. So, you know, there's no question that I kind of had a little bit of a, a, you know, a step up from most people for sure. And then in my thirties, uh, my dad had, uh, he had all these businesses and it was just nuts. And, and I remember kind of, you know, when I was at that age, of course, I was just in awe of it, you know, and he's driving a Rolls Royce. He's got the house in Ladue and, and I'm thinking like, well, that's exactly what I want. You know, I'm going to work my tail off. And, but my dad's not that, he wasn't that old at the time. You know, my dad and mom had kids when they were really young and there's six of us. And um, so I think my dad was like 45 or 40 in his mid to late forties when I first started. And I'm going, heck, you know, and that was part of it too. I didn't want to wait around to inherit something that I'm like, you know, he could work another 30 years, you know? And so, but anyway, but my dad uh, in the, like in the, late 80s, early 90s, got kind of caught in a big part of the downturn that happened at that time. Yeah, uh, He had a lot of stuff and he had bought a lot of property th that was based on those tax laws from 86 that got wiped uh, out. So yeah. anyway, all this stuff that he was using as tax shelters for his, you know, the golden goose uh, also all of a sudden became huge liabilities. And through a lot of different events that took place, he lost everything. I mean, it all came crumbling down. Mm -hmm. And so he, um, his first reaction was that it was going to be, I'm going to take down as many people as I can with me. You know, I mean, he was like this scorched the earth and, you know, I'm going to declare bankruptcy and, you know, uh, and I went to him and I don't know why, uh, but I went to him and I was 30 at the time. So I wasn't that old, but I went to him and said, Hey, you know, what do you think if we try and work this out? What if, what if we go to all these banks and talk about all this debt and see if there's something that might be 
doable. And uh, he was really skeptical of it. And I'm sure as a, looking at me as a 30 year old kid thinking, you know, well, what does he know? And I didn't know anything, Yeah. but very fortunately for, for me and for him, uh, there was another guy that was introduced to us who had been through a very similar situation who had really kind of gone through some really tough times and had come out of it. And the guy gave us the framework, you know, he basically said, listen, you know, I don't want to do this again. I've done it for myself once, but if you want to do it, uh, here's what you do and how you approach it. And, and so we were given a game plan and, and I went out and started meeting with banks and talking to people and, and the long and short of it is, I mean, there was a, you know, a lot that was lost and, but at the end of the day, you know, my dad was left standing and actually did all right afterwards and, and rebounded a little bit. But, but I guess the big thing that impacted me was just, um, I saw, uh, you know, I saw false life, I guess is the best way to say it fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had been like, you know, head of charity fundraisers. He had done, uh, you know, he had hundreds of employees, uh, a lot of people that were in the business world knew him. Uh, he was, you know, obviously somebody that, uh, that, you know, had a lot of contacts, as I'd mentioned before. And, 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 you know, and I'm not going to say everybody, but I just saw that immediately. It was just like when, when all that fell apart, all the people left, it was just like, you know, somebody turned a light on in a room and the rats just scattered. And, and I was very impacted by it. I just remember very, very, even at that age, feeling like, wow, you know, everything that he kind of held important was taken from him, like really in the blink of an eye, although it happened over a year or two. But, um, and it just really made me stop and step back and start thinking about it and just saying, hey, you know, I mean, um, maybe I'm on that on the right path. And that was kind of the beginning of kind of a turn uh, for me. Uh, first of all, it was kind of stepping out onto my own because I'd always kind of felt like I had this safety net with my dad and that disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then also I just, but I also kind of thought, you know, I mean, he worked his tail off. He started this all from scratch. You know, he didn't go to college. I mean, I mean, he, he was kind of quote the, what we all would think of as the American dream this guy that comes from nothing and does really well and ends up with all the toys and all the stuff. And, and he wasn't happy, you know. My mom and dad ended up divorcing shortly after this all fell apart. Um, and like I said, and I just and, and there were some friends that definitely stuck by him. I don't mean that it wasn't it wasn't that dire, but but um, everything that he had kind of held as you know on this pedestal, or that I probably more so I had really saw as a pedestal, uh, was just all ended up being you know the house of cards. Yeah. So very impactful. So. Um- yeah, that, and and not everybody gets that lesson, you know. If you don't if you don't see that, then then the next generation. I don't know if you've read um, the Millionaire Next Door, mm-hmm. uh, but they, yes. yeah, it talks a lot about you know the the the, the 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 so many people that live in the wealthiest zip codes are you know a, a paycheck or two away from bankruptcy if they, you know, they get a lifestyle that's financed by super high income and. Um, that's not exactly what happened here, but something can change. And like you said, it can be a house of cards. That's all, it's all determined by values and cash flows um, that then can drive a sense of worth. But the sense of worth is based on, you know, this, this grand monopoly game that we're all part of, <laughs> you know? Um, now, it'd be interesting to see, because like, I, I, know, I know you, one time you said to me something about, um, 
you know, you you mentioned I don't know one of your tenants and helping them out or whatever. Just just like uh, you were excited because it was someone that was new that was starting a new business. And you're like, I always love I always love seeing people do that. You think that um, I, I assume that this experience maybe has helped your has shaped your image of like how you work with people or your your the advice you might give or yeah i think from, from a couple different standpoints one was that i just had an appreciation for you know the hard work that was involved and and seeing people that were trying to start their own thing you know you wanted to see people succeed but you also kind of wanted to make sure that if there were anything that you could do to help them avoid some of the pitfalls that i had experienced either through my dad or my own experiences that you could try and help them out. Um, so that was one thing that I, you know, because at the end of the day, even going back to what happened with my dad, um, there were a lot of people that showed up though, to help out. Like I mm. said, the, even the one guy who had been through this and kind of said, Hey, listen, I, I'll help you. You know, I mean, I mean, it's just, there were, there's always kind of people and, and it left a strong sense of me to maybe, try and be one of those people too, if the opportunity ever arose. So I think that was definitely one of them. Uh, the other thing is, you know, it's kind of, yeah, I'm in a unique position that uh, being in the office and retail property business for a long time, I saw, you know, literally probably by the end of the day, hundreds of different businesses. I mean, I saw financial planners like you, I saw massage therapists, I saw people that were you know, accountants, counselors, uh, people that were, you know, in the restaurant business, people that were dry cleaners. I mean, just all the, you know, hardware stores, you know, you just name it. We, I saw and met a lot of people in all these different businesses, which fascinated me on the one hand. But on the other hand, I, I did start to see like these common threads, you know, you just think that there's these really vast, you know, experiences that are required for all these different things. But at the same time, you started to see, you know, things that, you know, even like in someone like you, you know, I saw a personality that was like, you know, this guy's very determined and, you know, it's just, it's, it's fairly obvious or it becomes fairly obvious as you, as you do this for a while to see the people that you can sense the passion and those are the people you want to help. And then you, but you also kind of, I mean, unfortunately you see the train wrecks too, you know, there's people that came to me and I tried to do everything. And there was one guy that came to us one time. He wanted to open up like a pet store. And I was just like, oh my God, this is a disaster. You know, <laughs> he's using, he got like this small inheritance from, you know, his wife's father or something. And I was just like, dude, you know, you don't know anything about this. And <laughs> right. I really tried to talk him out of it. Unfortunately, I did not. And I think he went out of business within a year. But um, yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's heartbreaking, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you, know, you just realize it's just like, it, but at the same time, I've always struggled in balancing. You know, everybody has a dream and you can't ever discourage people that just are kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm, Hey, I'm working for UPS. I mean, I got to take a shot. This yeah. is my shot. And so, you know, you want to encourage, but at the same time, you're just like, man, this is not the deal, you know, or this is not what you want to try it at. And so I always have a hard time with that. You know, you want to be, you want to be a great cheerleader for people, but at the same time, I've always felt, and I, another lesson I think I've learned at time is that where you really do somebody a favor, though, is telling them the truth. I think sometimes I, I mistook being a cheerleader for being a good guy. And um, and again, it's not that everybody always follows my advice or that I'm some big sage, but I always kind of felt like, hey, you know, 
the the real friend in this is going to tell somebody sometimes what they don't want to hear. Uh, and so there were times when I was telling people not to do stuff and, uh, you know, like I said, but, and I never saw them again. They didn't ever come back or, you know, and, and I'm sure I was wrong on some too. I'm not trying to say I was always right, but, uh, it was just something where I just kind of felt like, you know, having been through all that, you know, you can't help, but, um, not want to see anybody else go through it. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> three, three things I want to hit on there. Uh, I, and I don't want to forget them us. Looking for a pen. the 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 pet store. My I, uh, my mom's cousin had a great story about a pet store in Kirkwood with a monkey. I'll tell you that in a minute. Uh, when, when I started, um, you know, and when I yeah, when I started with you, like that was you know, I had been a financial planner for I don't know seven years with another company, but then started my own business. And so, you know, the space we had for people that hadn't, they weren't there, it was, the space was perfect and clean and nice, but it was in the basement. You know, some people saw it, what they call it, the lower level, uh, but there were no windows. And some people I know would not have, they would have been embarrassed by that. And I had people give me crap about it. You know, wholesalers that, that represented these mutual fund companies were like, nice space, dude. And I was like, well, it's, well, it's mine, you know, like, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is my thing. Um, and uh, yeah, the risk, <clears throat> I never, you know, there were, there were months I was pulling money out of my personal checking account to pay you because, and that, which meant that I, there was no, <laughs> I wasn't getting anything from the business, you know, cause I had a, a part-time college employee and, you know, all other, other bills. But you had, and, and there was no guarantee that that was going to work. But luckily enough people said yes to working with me and trusted me and, um, and, it, and it did work. But, you know, it took, you know, you, you, you trust in us to, you know, my business partner at the time to, to sign a lease and pay your rent and, you know, me making this, that sacrifice of like pulling money out of my savings to keep that going until I get enough other people to hire me. So like, that's hard. And like, I, I know what you're saying about, there's that balance between being a cheerleader and telling people to, to, to say yes to their dreams, but also there's a balance between that leap of faith and also a practical, you know, to some level, like looking at your, what are your odds here? You know, like if you build a flying machine, you know, it, it can't just be based on hope. There's got to be some, <laughs> some, <laughs> some, you see some, like reminds me of those like early flying, flying devices you see in the black and white photo, the, 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 the silent pictures with people had these things that just crashed and burned versus the, the Wright brothers that built wind tunnels to test their stuff before, <laughs> beforehand, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and that, that touches on something that's like been a great life lesson for me, for sure, is that um, I've kind of found uh, this group of people uh, that, that I, I kind of look to different people for different things. Um, like when I'm looking at a real estate deal, uh, it's very easy to get caught up with a lot of people that are going to tell you, oh, God, that's, that's unbelievable, man. I can't believe how cheap you bought that. And that's such a great deal. And they're just giving you the affirmation, telling you, I think, trying to, you know, su support you that, you know, you're a smart guy and that you made a great decision. But 
you know, I came to look for and find over time the, the naysayers. I mean, I, I, I kind of found this group of people that, boy, they don't, they know. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny. I'd almost think it's like an Asperger's type of disease. You know, like sometimes it's so, it was so insulting that, you know, you kind of have to step back and go, holy cow, you know, but, um, but I try to find, I also try to find people that I would run it by that I knew would tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I mean, I really kind of thought, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm telling you, he just doesn't see it. And, but, but it challenged me, you know, and, and, and that became more my focus as I got older was to try and find these people that, you know, like I said, they just didn't sugarcoat it. And, and I needed all of them. I mean, I, at times I needed the cheerleader. Sometimes, like you said, when you, when you haven't had a paycheck for months, you know, yeah. and, and by this time I've got a wife and kids and I'm dipping into savings and I'm getting nervous and I don't know if things are going to turn around. Um, you know, sometimes you need the cheerleader, you know, the people that just go, Hey, you know, just hang in there. You're going to be fine. And, but I also kind of found that I just as importantly needed the people that were like, man, I don't know that, that does, that seems like a big bleep for me. I mean, you're really making some assumptions that I don't know about, you know, and yeah. I, I think that's, you know, so it's, that's one thing though. I think over time you hopefully find those people, but you need all of them, you know? Yeah. So. Well, you were, you were that person for me, as after, you know, at the end, I think we, I don't remember how many years of a lease we signed, but we went a couple of years beyond that. And then we were starting to look at moving and this was 2007 and the real estate market was crazy. And, and, uh, we were like, well, maybe we'll just buy a place like everybody else in the world was thinking. Um, and, um, I, we found a business condo, I think is what it was, what it was called. And, ran it by you because you had said, hey, if you ever, if you ever, you know, if you're going to buy something, um, let me, you know, let me know, I'll take a look at it or whatever. And, and you were like, yeah, I don't know, man. I think the real estate market's a little hot right now. You might want to wait. <laughs> so if anyone remembers <laughs> 2008, that was an understatement of the century. <laughs> but you, you, but you, that you, you, you're, you're, and there was more to the conversation than that. And obviously I understand numbers. Um, and so I was able to set aside my emotion of the excitement of being a, you know, cause I had all these clients, you know, oh, they've, they own businesses and then that can be part of my retirement and I'm going to build equity and why not I don't pay myself rent and just, you know, instead of <laughs> paying my landlord, I'll be the landlord. And you helped me look at the numbers objectively. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so we found a spot with windows so I could get some vitamin D. <laughs> but that meant that also meant that it was more expensive, right? But but I I was renting versus not buying and then we moved and then the 2008 crisis happened again. It happened. And uh fortunately I was renting and not owning. I I fortunately I also didn't go out of business, but I, you know, after this was 2008, so I'd been in business 5 years, I've been a planner for 10 years. And all of a sudden, again, I started borrowing money to pay myself because my overhead was higher now and my revenues dropped 40%, you know, because I made, I'm, one of my clients told me this and he said, always make your decisions as if you're coming out of your worst, or worst year or a really bad year. He's like, you'll make your worst decisions ever after you've had a really good year. 
That's exactly what we, what we, we, oh man, we're, we've had five years of growth and we're doing this. And so we're going to, we, we got a different space and we hired a new employee and had all this new fixed overhead and then, then lost 40% of our revenue because of uh, the mortgage crisis. Uh, but had I borrowed money, I may have been one of those people that the bank called my loan because the, 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 the condo was worth 40% less than, and I didn't have the money to put into it to, to have the capital. You know, I know people that lost, lost properties because of that. So you're, you were that guy for me of saying, hey, let's look at this objectively. Here are the facts. And you were like, um, you know, you were, I, I could sense that you were like not trying to be a Debbie Downer uh, or Doug Downer if we want to keep, keep it. <laughs> the gender. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, but yeah, you were trying to be, you were being objective and I appreciated it and it kept me, it maybe kept me from going bankrupt. I don't know. So, mm. um, yeah. I didn't know that, but yeah, but I've done that with other people and, and especially like you said, in real estate, you know, when you're in the business and, and especially in that time you're talking about, I mean, you know, you just start to, and I hate to say, I don't know if we're in it again, but you get in these times where you're just like, this just doesn't make sense anymore. I mean, people are just, you know, it, it, the, the reason for a lot of people buying is just because the belief is that it'll be worth more tomorrow. And there are a lot of people that make a lot of money doing that. So mm -hmm. I'm certainly not here to say that that isn't a strategy, but, but boy, yeah, you just see people get so strung out and, and, and I had been in that same position. I think at that time I was just getting out of the home building business, but it was another one of those times where I just had like, this was 2004 and, and we were doing well. The business was great and we were growing and, and, um, but nothing made sense to me anymore. What people were paying for ground, what the, you know, the, the, the sales, the, the, the pricing, everything was just so crazy. And, you know, I went to this guy that worked with me and I said, I'm getting out. And I mean, it was like, you know, of course this guy, you know, he's got a family to support and things. I mean, he was, he was frankly pissed, you know, and he was kind of like, what do you mean you're getting out? Are you crazy? And I was just like, this can't last much longer. And it did last long. You know, I mean, it went on for another three or four years. So, you know, there were times where I was thinking, man, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You know, um, I could have really ridden this thing a lot longer. And, yeah. And, but, you know, and like you said, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think that's a great piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. Make the decisions based on your worst year, because. I think that's the, the thing that so many of us fall into is this whole idea that like, well, you know, it's, you know, if it's this today, it's going to be better tomorrow. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a trap for sure. Well, it was interesting too, when you talk about people, people being like the cheerleaders and almost, you know, they, people want to be supportive and excited for what you're doing. And, but like, you know, getting, <clears throat> getting a contrarian view can be helpful. And I, I think about that with, that's the whole, that's the whole model for, for, you know, 18 year olds with college, you know, there's whatever you want to do, you know, you go to the best school you can and here's this, and I've talked about this on several episodes, but there's this, this, all this excitement and, you know, that you, you go to school and, and, and don't think about the cost and you, you know, everyone else has, loans and nobody's thinking about the cost benefit of what of what their education's all about um and helping people make a decision about how much to pay for uh their classes 
uh, in in comparison to what's the earning co- earning capability from a, from a given career. And uh, example I give is one of the one of the college counselor meetings they had for one of my sons. Um, the counselors were all giving us advice, and and at the end of it, one of them said. You know, at the end of the day, so like some of us here at the table went to Ivy League schools and some of us went to state schools and we're all doing the same job. And they said it in like a positive way, but my my brain was going, yeah, so that means some of you paid $150,000 too much to sit at that table. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, uh, but the, no, the, the parents that are making the decision for their kids, most of them haven't made that big of an investment. And the, an eighteen-year-old certainly hasn't. Um, so, haven't some people think a contrarian view, or or even like within my improv world, they talk about getting notes and getting advice. Some people get offended by that or hurt by that, but those can be the things that can really save you. Yeah. Well, and I think you touch upon this in your book too. Is that um, you know I know there's all different types of terms for it, you know, second half of life, waking up, you know, all these things. But I don't know. I think most of us, and it definitely happened for me, and I feel like it has for you too. It's just like there's just this point in time where you kind of, you just realize that it's just all this stuff you've been fed from the get-go, right? Is that like, you know, well, if you if you excel at school and you get into the right schools, that life will be good. Um, and if you... Um, and if you have the right things, life will be good. You know, the, the, the house and the cars and, and then, uh, and, and like you say, I, and then, like I said, I just really got this out of your book too. And, and I just, cause I, I so much appreciate that this message is, I think finally coming out more and more I hear, but it's just all of a sudden you just stop and you just go, what am I doing? You know, who's, who, who said all this was so true. Yeah. And if you really dig into it, and like I said, even going back to my dad's uh, situation was that you just kind of see it's just like, this is just, this is not, one of my buddies said, uh, you know, he's always said something that was great. And I so experienced this in my own career was that, you know, all money does is give you choices, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I felt like, yeah, you know, because I'll tell you this idea that I, I knew more people that had more money than I would ever dream of. And they were the most miserable pe- people I ever met in my life. Yeah. You know, they were, they weren't happy. They'd been through, you know, divorces. They didn't really have good relationships with their kids. Um, and, you know, and I just, and, and, and I don't know, I, I, pity is not a great thing because I think it's judgmental in some ways, but, but really I look at these guys and I got to know a lot of them from being in the real estate business. There's a lot of people that have got a lot of money and, but you just look at their lives and you just go, it's a train wreck. I mean, is that really what I'm working for? Mm-hmm. And that's when I think you start to wake up and just start to, and then you're questioning everything. Like you, like, and again, you pointed out is like, you know, what, what's, what is the American dream and what is this whole topic of, you know, well, you got to have these things and, then you're going to be happy, you know, and yeah. it's just, uh, it's just so, yeah, just, like I said, just something that, and then you start questioning college educations and, you know, what you're telling your kids. And, you know, I, I realized how much I screwed up with my own kids. You know, it's like, I kind of got a lot of some of this stuff a little late 
And, uh, you know, so I'm out trying to undo some of the damage I did before, you know, and uh, going, hey, you know, when I was buying all those stupid cars, that was that that was just a joke, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you my my, I'll tell you a quick story. My daughter taught me one of the greatest lessons. And, and, and again, it was just, it wasn't as powerful as my dad's situation, but it was definitely one of these things where I was like, what in the world am I doing? So I had gone through, I think this was in that same period of time. This was like in the 2004 or five period. And we had been doing very well. We had been, you could buy ground and literally make, you know, ridiculous returns without ever even taking ownership of it. I mean, like you would go out, get a contract, get it zoned and you could sell it to somebody and make a ton of money. And this so, you know, pre-2008. You think, yeah, yeah. You even think of the absurdity. I mean, and that's what, that's right. One of the reasons I got out of the home building business, I'm like, I can make more money selling the ground than I can building the house. If something's wrong. You know? <laughs> right. So anyway, but so I got all puffy and uh, so I go out and I buy this Mercedes 450, uh, 550 SL as a car that I always dreamed of having, you know, and it's a convertible and everything. And my daughter is in high school at the time. And uh, so I go to pick her up. Uh, she had lacrosse practice after school one day. And I, so I, I made time to go get her. And the way that the, 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 where the school was, was that you pulled into this parking lot and the parking lot just kind of like was right into the fields where they had their practices and stuff. So I'm basically in the front row, like I'm, my car is literally parked on like basically, you know, 20 feet from the out of bounds line on the field, you know, <laughs> and I'm waiting for her to finish. And she comes over and she's just kind of looking in a different direction. And, and I'd had the car before this, of course, before, but you know, I got the top down. It's a beautiful day. I'm thinking, oh man, this is awesome. And, and she gets in the car and she goes, don't ever pick me up in this car again. <laughs> and I was just like, what? You know, like all your friends are going to be so impressed. I mean, you know, look at, look at, look at us. Look, we made it, you know, and, and she's just like, you know, she's 16, 17 years old. She goes, I don't ever want to drive in this car again with you like this. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, thinking that like, this was such the pinnacle for me or something. Yeah. I think I sold the car six months later. Wow. It was just like, but it was, it took my daughter to kind of be the one that was just like, you know, you look like a fool in this thing. And so do I, and and it's presumptuous and it's, you know, and it's, and it was, it was trying to like make everybody believe that we had a little better life than everybody else, you know, looking back on it. Yeah. And and, and don't get me wrong. I like nice cars. I'm not, you know, I'm not driving a, you know, 97 Honda or anything right now, but it just was kind of one of these moments where I was just, it it really kind of like, like I had really kind of started to think, you know, like it, I, I was in that trap, you know, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, oh, this is good. This is going to be so cool. And people are going to think so well of me because of it, you know. So. Well, that's super cool that you, again, in improv, they call that a note. Like she gave you a note and you took it. Like you didn't, I, you know, I hear, I that's what I hear from people I know that have kids that have problems with them is the, the their, their kids have a different perspective and and the parents don't ever want to hear it. Like, well, you haven't lived as long as me and when you'll understand one day and whatever. And that's cool that you, that you, that it, 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 it impacted you and, and, uh, that, that you weren't like, you're just, you're wrong. Because <laughs> then people, like you said, people that don't have good relationship with their kids, that that's generally the conversation. You're wrong. One day you'll understand you're not as smart as I am kind of a thing. And <laughs> so, um, you mentioned, um, 
you know, the uh, kind of the way we're brought up and what we think. You know, we I, I think I, I, the more I think about it now is like a lot of our education system, and I struggle with that too with my own kids. But a lot of it is is teaching you to to obey and to fit in and to not question and to essentially be a good employee. And then you know, our the the rest of a, a lot of our childhood is this just we're just. Saturated through television and everything else to be consumers. So, like that's it's like the Matrix, man. He's in the out of your movie. They talk. He talks about how you can just you can just taste it, and it's just like that's every part of it is like <laughs> be obey, do what you're told, show up on time, follow the rules, and buy things. And then when you buy things, you'll be happy. But you bought this thing. Well, then this other thing is really what's going to make you happy. You know, you really needed this, that versus that. And <clears throat> you get stuck. Are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I've been thinking about that a lot because I think we get so, you know, there's the, um, the, 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 the safety needs for having a house and your, and your food and clothing. Um, we get stuck in a cycle of, those things that are driving the esteem needs and prestige. So like these clothes will, will make me happy and this car will make me happy and this kind of a house or this kind of a vacation. And, you know, I, when I was living in Webster every spring break, all the parents would be like, did you go to, did you go in somewhere for spring break? And before you could even open your mouth, like we went here and it was beautiful and it was nice and all the other friends were there. And then there's, there's like this kind of comparing notes of what we did and did is what you did better than what I did, but probably not. So let me tell you. And when, you're, when your life's so consumed with all those things, you don't have any f- free time or space to think about the, what, what do I really want and what's important and what gives me a sense of purpose, the self-actualization top part. So our lives get so full of the have-tos and and want-tos that we never really get into those that, that space of like, well, why 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 am I here, man? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many how many day no matter how old you are, we never know how much time we have. So, you know, I've had People older than me say, well, I don't have as much time as you. Like, I don't know. I don't know how much time I have. I get hit by a bus tomorrow. A meteor could hit this building right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, so, um, you know, your, so some of the, some of the conversations, well, let's, let's talk about that monkey story. So, cause I'm, if, if someone's listening closely, they're like, why well, you never got back to that? Um, my, my uh, one time I went, visited uh, one of my, my mom's cousins, this guy named Rich who lived in Cape Girardeau and he, he grew up in Kirkwood. And when he was in high school, he worked at a, a, there was a pet store down on South Kirkwood. I think close to where that trains, the second train tracks are, if you're heading South, where there's a, there used to be a lumber store there. I think, the way he described it, that's that's what I had in my head, but I, I never gave me an address. But he's in high school, and this is the 1950s, and they had monkeys there. And one time he was feeding the monkeys, and one of them got out, and he's 15 or 16, and 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 with this big net trying to chase, to chase this aggressive monkey around the pet store, <laughs> and telling me this story. I'm just trying to. First of all, it's insane that that was a thing, you know. Um, 
So I had a lot of relevance to this, but I was just like, that was a, a funny image of like this time in Kirkwood when they sold monkeys in pet stores, you know, Kirkwood Road. <laughs> so, um, so going back to some of the advice you, you, you know, you had given me about real estate um, and you talking about va- values and price. Um, one, one thing you said to me that really stuck in my head and I've tried to apply it in a lot of different ways in my personal life is, he said, most people that own real estate are poor and they don't know it. And uh, you remember talk, you remember that conversation? Yes. Yeah. So you were you were talking about, you know, when you buy a property, not really, you know, if you haven't paid the right price for it, how much trouble you can get in. And part of paying the right price is also understanding what are the future costs that you're going to have with this thing. So... Maybe maybe you can dive in a little bit of your thought process into that, and then we'll we'll apply that a little further. Yeah, <clears throat> I uh, learned a lot of it through my own experience. Frankly, you know, I bought a lot of things that you know on paper look great, and then all of a sudden I owned them. I'm like, uh, this isn't the the performance not working here, and it's going all the wrong way. And it's just it's kind of one of those things that I had experienced where, you know. Um, for an example, when 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 I was really working hard to find stuff and back in the days in the real estate business, yeah, I just remember how many deals I had to look at. I mean, it was it was exhausting at times, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I don't know, I never kind of counted, but I would say, you know, you looked at 50 things and seriously, not just like looking, you know, on the MLS or something, seeing something for sale. I mean, like going out driving the property, you know, asking for information, getting a rent roll, whatever. I mean, actually diving into it. You know, you look at 50 of them before you'd even find one that you would even like take to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many times, you know, I think that I just saw there were a lot of people that were in my business that never had the patience for it. They're just like, well, I'm in the real estate business. I got to go buy something. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, and you just kind of see and how quickly it could fall apart, you know, and especially when you see these downturns and, you know, how ugly banks can get really quickly. I mean, when when things go bad, I mean, these banks are kind of like, hey, we got a problem. We've got examiners coming in here and they're they're classifying your loan as bad credit. And so you need to either come in here with a bunch of cash and pay it down or get out. And we want to get paid off like now. And you lose your ability to really kind of make any choices. And so I had just seen so many people that got into real estate. And yeah, and like I said, everybody looks at these pro formas and, and, uh, you know, but nobody pro formas a a broken water line. Nobody pro formas uh, somebody who stiffs you for four months of rent. You know, nobody, it just, it's never in a pro forma. The performers were always kind of like, well, you know, we've got a little vacancy factor in there at five percent. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, that'll that'll blow up in about two seconds if somebody, you know, goes four or five months without paying you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it happened to me too. You know, like I said, it was a lot of it was through some hard lessons. But but when I look at a lot of people, you know, bring me their real estate deals, and and you just look at it and just go, you know, and they'd be like, well, this is like a ten percent return, and I'm like. Where do you factor in putting on a new roof in ten years? You know, mm-hmm. well, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I'll, I'll sell it before that. And I'm like, well, then somebody's going to want a credit for it. Then when you go to sell it, you know, I mean, they're going to say the roof's shot, you know, or whatever. And so you just saw that a lot, a lot of these people made those same mistakes. And again, I just think it's kind of living in this, you know, um, what success is, you know, and and 
and it just gets back to me or and what I found. And again, this was from myself too, was it had so much to do with image, you know, you could, you could, you know, just like my car, right. I could walk around and, and I'd see all my friends and I'd go, Hey, you know, I just, I bought that Walgreens down the street and everybody go, Oh man, no way. Really? Oh God. Yeah. It was an, it was an instant kind of like gratification of like, Hey, look at me, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm out in the real world and I'm buying things and selling and making money. And, and I could prove it to you by this car I drive and the house I'm living in. But at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, well, Walgreens just came out and said they're putting drive-throughs on all their units and you don't have one. So they're leaving. Yeah. And you're like, uh, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody else is going to pay me $30 a foot like they were right. when I have to go release it. And so, you know, you just see all these people that, you know, and real estate just seemed to magnify to me was, and I'm sure it's the same in other businesses, but that people get so caught up in, in all the, you know, well, this is what I'm doing. So to be successful, I need to be buying a lot of real estate or I need to have projects that I can point to and show people that I'm successful. Um, when in fact, you know, when you really started digging down and go, man, if interest rates go up a half a percent, that guy's in trouble. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just kind of know some of these things, you know, cause you see people buy stuff and you're just going, what in the world is that guy thinking? And, and so you, the fr- fragility of it was just, something that I was always amazed at. And again, that I experienced in my own career too. You know, like when you go through these downturns, well, I tell you, it's, uh, it leaves an imprint on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you go through that and you just go, man, it's, uh, it's, it's rough when it's bad, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned like, you know, the, 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 the roof and neck, things like that. That's <clears throat> so many people. And I was, I was guilty of this when I was look, trying to look at, you know, buying versus renting, um, you think, well, I'm paying, I'm, you know, and, well, because most people, I've never bought a commercial building and, and most people I know haven't. So like, we're just looking at a house because like most, that's something most Americans, that's the American dream, right? Having a house, you know, and if you're renting, you're thinking, I'm just throwing my money away. I'm paying X dollars per month. I could, that's, I could, I can, af- quote, afford a house with a payment of that. Um, and, and the same thing is like, so then the, the, the people start looking and if they've looked for a month, they feel like they've looked a long time and they, it's an emotional decision. Oh, this, you know, there's a great, there's a great dogwood tree in the yard. It's just beautiful. Um, and, and, and they're not um, really looking into like, well, what are the, what are all the future costs of owning this thing? Um, and uh, am I buying it? The price and value, or you know, you've you've talked a lot about things being overpriced or whatever, but you know, be like, well, this this house is for sale for three hundred thousand dollars. It's it must be worth three hundred or whatever it is, hundred thousand, a million. But but is it or is it just are we in a bubble? You know, um, but yeah, that 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 cost, like you mentioned, a roof. <clears throat> you know, being a financial planner for twenty five years, I can't tell you how many times whether someone's 30 40 50 60 i've i've tried to get numbers from people of like well what you know what's your maintenance number for the house and they don't think about it or the oh this was a really bad year because we had to put a roof on the house like well how is that a shock man like you know every everything everything you own has got a shelf life and is f- working its way towards entropy and falling apart <laughs> so 
<laughs> you know, everything you own, you got to keep dumping money into to keep it from falling apart. You know, so um, that, <clears throat> that you know, I I, I kind of relate to what you're saying about looking a lot. Like when I bought my first, when I bought the house in Webster, I I looked at a lot of places till I find what I thought was the right thing for a lot of different reasons, but I didn't factor in the 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 carrying cost in a good way. It took me 10 years to realize for this for this dumb little house, it's gonna cost me five or ten grand a year in projects, period. So whether it's a tree that died or a cracked foundation or some just some dumb thing that's gonna break every year or two or three. Um, and, and almost nobody factors that in when, when they're looking at their budget and then they get, like you said, they're poor and they don't know it. They'll, they think they're doing okay. And then they quote, have a bad year because something broke. And it's like, but if you own a, if you own a house, you got to have extra money to keep throwing into that thing. And if you own a car, the same, it's the same is true. So, um, you, you kind of opened my mind to that and I came up with my own formula, but you know, like. If someone came to you or your kids like, oh, I'm paying this rent, I'm going to buy a house. What would you advice you give them about how much extra they should have for all those un, unknown unknowns? <laughs> That's a tough one to answer. You know, the, the thing I try and do in, in more so even with my own kids has just been, you know, I think it's just so natural that we all get caught up in, even like in the time we're in right now, right? Is that, you feel like you're 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 getting behind because you're not in the game. In other words, you you know someone who, you know, bought a house five years ago and they just sold it and made a ridiculous amount of money. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're just like, it wasn't that hard. You know, I mean, and you start to equate those things. But you know, I always try and tell like for my kids and things, and they've bought houses and one two have one hasn't. But I'm just like, you know, that money is it's it's it's, it's not, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of thin air, you know, everybody goes around and goes, well, you know, I could sell my house tomorrow for X, you know, and I'm going, well, yeah, but where are you going to live? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you, 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 so you make these assumptions, I think, and everybody is, like I said, I think everybody gets so, uh, and it ties into even in my professional career with the real estate examples I was given. And I think everybody gets tied into these image things that we're told that like, you know, well, you better get on the boat because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. And that means that you're never going to get ahead. You're going to, you know, die unhappy with no things. And, um, and I think it's just like, like you said, and so, yeah, when you, I think anybody who's owned a house could tell anybody, it's like, yeah, well, you, you know, you got to go, you know, well, you move into the house and you think, and then it just starts, you know, all the, you know, the refrigerator, you know, needs to be replaced. You know, you got to buy a mower because now you got to mow the grass that you didn't have to do before. And, you know, when you start factoring in all this stuff that occurs monthly and, and trying to keep it looking nice, if you do landscaping and, uh, you know, you're buying mulch and, you know, I mean, just bill after bill after bill. And, and you know, I keep telling my kids, I'm like, you know, that's, I mean, it's not to say don't do it, but it's just like, it's, it's, to me, it's more a lifestyle choice. It's like, you know, maybe when you've got kids and things and you want a yard or you've got a dog or you've got some real need that you think, you know, I really want to do this. But yeah, I agree. I, I you know, and, and again, I think it goes back to that same thing. It's just there's so many examples out there where people see that like, well, the housing market went up 12% last year. I mean, I couldn't do that in the stock market. I might as well put my money in a house. You know, I'm wasting money on rent. And it's just like, mm. 
That is just so, you know, first of all, you've got to time the sale. And if you do time the sale right, you got to go pay a premium for what you're going to go buy. So it's kind of hard to get ahead in that game. And then eventually it's going to, you know, I mean, even with, you know, my daughter has been looking for a house in Denver, which is even worse than St. Louis. And, and uh, you know, but she has a good friend who's in the mortgage business out there. And, you know, and she said, well, you know, I talked to so-and-so and he just said, well, you know, what difference does it make what you buy? It's going to get, it's going to go up in value. And I'm just like, wow, there is a, that's just a statement that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I'm just like, it's somebody giving you bad advice. Who's never been through a downturn. You yeah. Know, it's just, it's again, you know, and it's not said maliciously, but it's, it's just such a, you know, like I said, until you go through a downturn and say, yeah, you know, the house that was never going to go down in value. Well, Talk to some people that sold their houses in 2009, you know, I mean, right. they got wiped out, you know? <clears throat> well, so, yeah. You talk about that, yeah, that, that, that idea that you're, you're missing out and the, and people, people look at, that's, that's a, that's, I think one of the biggest myths in America is your home is your best investment, man. Cause they, they only look at the, the capital appreciation, but they don't look at the opportunity cost of all of, uh, of first of all, of all their time of maintaining that thing. Cause it really owns a big piece of you unless you're wealthy enough to then pay people to do all the things. But then there's the opportunity cost of all that money. Um, and then, you know, for, for example, the house, the house we sold in or I had in, I had in Webster, I, you know, it, just in percent, it went up 50% in the, I don't know, however many years we had it. But when I looked at all the money I put into it and the additional expenses I had because it was my house versus me renting, you know, like all the, all the, all the yard projects I did and all the insurance and taxes, uh, I lost money. I, I, if, I would have, if I would have had the discipline to, to, to have a rental payment the same as my house payment, but not had, you know, insurance and taxes and all the costs that I put into that, I would have had three or four times as much money. Now that's, there are some places like in California or New York or whatever where, but, but in, but at the same time, well, you got to live somewhere. And I had a, I had a kids and we, you know, we wanted a yard and all those kind of things. But, but that, the opportunity cost for that home is substantial and nobody Nobody factors that. Nobody does that analysis, you know, because they don't. We're not. We're not taught how to do it, and we're taught. Well, this is what this is what you're supposed to do, and that's is like you you go to school, and then you you go to college, and then you get a job, and then you get married, and then or you get a house or somewhere in that order: house, marriage, dog, kids, lawnmowers, jobs, and then pretty soon you're. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, we rake leaves this weekend to clean up the yard, and then <laughs> you know, although we had to got to buy a water heater, you know, and it's like all your your time and energy is consumed with this thing, and then you're <laughs> you're, you're old one day, and you're like, well, I never learned to play the violin. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, my gutters were clean, man. <laughs> like, like, so I don't, I'm, I'm still looking at that. Like, you know, for, for me, like it worked out, but I mean that it's just, I'm, I'm still on a trend of trying to figure out how to, how to continually simplify to just get those things out of my life that I don't, that aren't bringing me joy or are costing me money that, that I don't want or need to spend. Here, here's something. So like when I, in my book, I talk about me simplifying my life with a condo, right? When I got it, and I, it worked because my kids were older 
and they were already established in schools and I didn't have to, I wasn't thinking about school districts anymore. But when I did that, I got rid of, and I haven't touched a lawnmower in 10 years or a rake or a gutter or anything like that or paid anyone. Well, I get, indirectly I'm paying through my association fee, but it's, I'm sharing that bill with 27 people, 26 people. Um, so when I, f- I freed up all the hours of taking care of a home and the money of taking care of a home and I got rid of a bunch of expenses. Um, when I was in my life where I did all that stuff, Nobody ever questioned how I spent my time when my time was consumed with what everybody else is doing. When I, when I, when I, I could have gotten six PhDs for the amount of hours I spent weeding and mowing and all that stuff that didn't bring me any joy, right? Um, nobody ever questioned that. But when I got rid of all that stuff and it freed up time and money to do things that brought me joy and things that were enriching, then people were almost like, well, how do you have time for all this stuff? Start que- they started questioning it as if I was like robbing someone to, to, to do things that brought me joy. And, and even like this, this project I'm able to do because of, because of COVID. You know, all the, the time I don't have to spend driving around and going places and doing things, I, it freed up time that then I captured to, to finish my book and start this thing. But I've had people give me crap like, well, it seems like you, how do you have time to do all this stuff? You know, like, like I'm, I'm stealing from someone. Um, so we don't, I, my, my point is like, we don't question what, what's, what's normal. We don't question, you know, we don't question the house and the job and school and student loans and, and all this stuff. But then if you, if you do something different, then, then um, there's almost like, it's almost the opposite effect of what you're talking about of like buying something that, that people go, oh, this this guy's made it. Car- Carlos made it because he's got a house in Webster. Well, Carlos failing because he has a condo in the city. You know, um, mm, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think I think the other trap that we all fall into uh, is that. And again, I was I always use myself as an example because I've been around long enough to have done all these things. But I think you know with what you're talking about is very true. And but we also realize the reality of like if you were married with young kids, a condo is, is not the greatest lifestyle. It's, yeah. It can be difficult. Right. So, you, you know, I, I don't ever like begrudge people for wanting to get a house and, and I get it, you know, school districts are important and all those kind of things. But what the thing that always like I cringe to all the time is that is, is it, no one really questions the whole process or anything and so you know like what does everybody do so when you get ready to go buy a house right you go out and get pre-qualified for a loan how many people don't max that out Mm -hmm. i mean you know so in other words somebody takes their magic wand and says you qualify for four hundred fifty thousand dollars and nobody goes well yeah but if i buy a four hundred fifty thousand dollar house um i am stretched to the to the limits Mm -hmm. and if there's a hiccup i have no room for you know, that emergency fund, a health problem, you know, whatever may come. And, you know, but everybody's natural reaction is, and we're told by everybody in society that, well, of course, you know, you, you go find, you know, in other words, if, if somebody will give you the money, take it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, and I think it's part of what banks are trying to do. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to make us all slaves to, 
yeah to, to pay them an ongoing fee that you know is how they're surviving you know and, it, and it's a very corporate world so that's the part that I you know like I said you know we all know you've been through it too you know that yeah there's there, there's a lifestyle that needs a house you need some stuff I yeah. get that but the problem that I have is like what you're talking about is when you get into it you realize holy cow but I maxed out and I did that because somebody told me I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then, like you said, then you're making all these choices going, well, you know, wow. I mean, God help me if, uh, you know, my business goes down or something, I don't have the money to pay instead of, you know, taking on something and saying, okay, so maybe I'm not going to have the house. that's going to impress everybody in the school district I wanted to be in. But if I buy a house that I can well afford and I can handle a downturn and I can, you know, uh, easily manage, you know, I mean, when it was just, this is just another one of those fine things, but I was in the home building business for years. And so when we would sell the new houses, we do callbacks in 60 days after they got in, which was always kind of the time where, you know, if a nail pop showed up or, you know, I found that somebody missed painting something in the closet or whatever. So you go, you go in their house. I can't tell you how many times I'd walk in these houses and there was barely a chair to sit on. I mean, it was just like, you know, the mattress is laying on the floor. They've got a dining room table and a couch with a TV sitting on the floor. It's just like they're so stretched with what they just did, whether it was from the down payment, whether it's from the board, you know, their payment, monthly payments. They have no money to go get. And then it's like, well, I got to get stuff to fill the house up. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just like I got to go buy all this stuff. And and uh, it just is like, man, just talk about getting on the treadmill and sprinting and going nowhere. You know? Exactly. And, and nobody factors that in. Like you said, I mean, go, go sell your used TV. You right. Know? Nobody <laughs> right. can give you anything for it. And, and that's basically everything in your house. You know, that's, a, I always laugh, laugh too. You know, these people do these estate sales and they tell you about this Oriental rug that's worth $20,000. I'm like, to who? <laughs> I'm not giving you 20,000. I know that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So you may have an appraisal for that if it burns up in a fire, but, I don't know that. And so that kind of goes back to what you're saying too, which is, you know, it's just, it's a simplicity, you know, just saying, Hey, what, what can I really live with? What can I get by with and and make my life much more stress-free in doing so? Exactly. You know, you brought up a good point about the banks. Cause I, I've thought about that too. The, you know, a lot of people that are held out as advisors or that people see as advisors have incentives that don't align with maybe what's best for you. So the bank the, the mortgage lender or the bank itself makes more money if you borrow more money. And the real estate agent makes more money if you buy a more expensive home. And they're not there to do what's, they're not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the, if you do that, that's, you're evil. That's just a fact. Like if, if you sell, the more expensive the house is, the more money you make. And then maybe they, you know, so, the people that are maybe giving you advice, and then also like everybody else is, you do everybody else is doing it. Everybody else went to this kind of college, and everybody bought this kind of a house. And then this, I, there's an idea. And again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying it's. I, I agree. I liked having a yard when my kids were little and stuff like that. But this, this, the idea of what kind of and how much house we need is so different now than it was. You know, the house I lived in 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 Webster with three people. And eventually, four people was considered small by today's standards. 
you know, there were, you know, the someone told me that, you know, the house, there was an identical house across the way that like, oh yeah, the, the, the chief of the fire department, you know, lived there in the fifties and raised seven kids or something like that. <laughs> so I just like, or my, my dad's family had nine kids and five, you know, the seven sons at one point, you know, a bunch of them slept in the basement on bunk beds, you know, with but bananas hanging from the ceiling because their dad sold produce. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm the, you know, but I mean, the, not the idea of what of what we need from a space standpoint has changed. And then there's also this idea that, that we need to per, keep perpetually upgrading. So, if when you're 25 you can afford X, then by the time you're 30 or 35 and you're making more money, if you don't buy Y, then you're failing somehow, or you're not showing the world that now you're the vice president of whatever versus when you started. Um, and then you keep that cycle up and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking at retirement being five, 10, 15 years away, but you can't afford it because your lifestyle has crept up to be so high with all these things you think you have to have. And, and to go, the, the people use the phrase downsize. And I like to think of it as simplification. Uh, you simplify your life and it frees you up. You know, people look at downsizing as something negative and bad and, and a, a admission of failure. Um, but then, like you said, well, really like looking at what you want to do in life and how much the things you have are consuming. It, if, that, if that brings you joy and you're perfectly happy, then, you, then you're done, you're, you're doing it. But if if it's not, then <laughs> you look look at what you have and like, yeah, I gotta I gotta keep paying to fix these things and repair these things and and heat uh, an extra four thousand square feet of space I don't use, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then also too like this America, you know, mil- billions of people live uh, in in ways that are far simpler than we do, uh, and and or in the past people grew up in ways that were simpler and grew up fine so we've we've all of a sudden gotten this sense of normal of like well we if we don't have this then we're bad parents and we're 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 ruining our kids lives <laughs> by not providing them enough stuff and space and things like that so it's a trap yeah i agree yeah um well cool well yeah i saw so, i mean today i just i just wanted to kind of you know pick your brain a little bit on, on some of those topics and things. And I think we hit on a lot of good things. Like if, so like if you're, you know, like from the beginning when you're, you're young and you were looking at, you know, well, that was uh, my episode with Helen Petty, you know, she decided to start a business and she said, she looked around and was like, well, other people are doing it. Why not? Why not me? And it's not, not what you said, but that's what you did. You know, you're like, well, my dad did it. Why can't I do it? And so some people, it's their parents and sometimes it's, you know, other people in their lives or for me, a lot of it was like reading, reading about other examples. Like, oh, well, <laughs> Ben Franklin was like my, oh, he did it. <laughs> so like I could do it, you know, uh, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so having examples, whether they're really close to you or someone that you found is important to, to find that the faith or the, the confidence to step into something that's unknown. Uh, and then, I liked your I liked your idea or the the advice about seeking a contrarian view. If everybody's saying one thing or being a cheerleader, you need to you need to maybe look at what's. Some people view that as well. You're being negative. It's like, well, no. Like, what? What if you can't afford? If you can't afford the worst case scenario, then you gotta maybe reassess certain things. Um, 
or at least at least go into it knowing what the worst case scenario is. Like you said, if if you fail, I, I knew I might fail. I knew I might have to like work a part time job on the weekends. I was I always told my wife like, well, if if I have to, I'm gonna go be a waiter because I think if I if I stick with this long enough, it'll work. Um, and nothing wrong with being a waiter, but I was just like I had never been one, and I'm like, well, I'll I'll do what it takes to 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 pay the bills. Um, so yeah, so I think those are. Uh, good advice, and if you've you've gotten to a certain point in life and you haven't tried it, you know, thinking about well, why why not? You can try start small and go from there. Yeah, I think, and I, I think, kind of to to summarize, I think too, a lot that I feel strongly about for myself personally is that you know, it's just like you know, using the analogy of an onion. I just think that you know, we we just get layered up as we're growing up with all these things that that you kind of are told that, you know, is the way to a good life, you know, what's the good life. And, and then something happens and there's a shift and, and, and then the process becomes that simplification and you're just constantly peeling away the onion. You're challenging all the things that you were told were right by your parents or by society or by a commercial. Um, and you get to this point where you just, I felt like once once you start peeling, it's just really hard to turn back because you start to see the, you know, the falseness and so many of the things that I kind of was chasing, you know, the things that I thought were going to bring me everything that I ever wanted. Um, I just started to see that it just wasn't there. And so then, like I said, the second half of life, as they call it, you know, and is is this whole process of peeling that back, getting to simpler life, and realizing that, and then and then of course once you start doing it, you know, as soon as some of those layers start coming off, man, it's you realize that like this is what I've been looking for, this is what I want, and uh, and I'm not going to let anybody else tell me differently anymore. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm excited, and like uh, like in that one chapter I wrote in my book, it's a process. So whatever whatever. W- any of us are aware of and see today it's a it's a path and you're not done and tomorrow you'll 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 see a little further and and make new choices based on that so um yeah cool well jack man i always i always appreciate our conversations and i I, i'm grateful that you came came and uh and shared that with uh with the audience here on it's the journey so thank you yeah it was great Thanks for reaching out. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Cool. So, all right. So, uh, all right. We're good. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll uh, we'll call that a wrap. <laughs> all right. All right. Take it easy. All right. You too. See ya. Cool. Okay, everybody. That's a wrap of my episode with Jack Davis. So, I knew that would be fun. And I hope you learned something you know, the big things I took away from that uh, is just a reinforcement of uh, the lesson we've heard multiple times from different guests of, you know, why not, why not me? Why not start something? Don't be afraid, give it a shot. But then there was the, the other piece of it that's also important of, you know, think, thinking, thinking it through as best you can of like at least being aware of what the downside might be or what being prepared for that so you don't go in just with rosy, just rose, you know, the rose colored glasses or rose tinted glasses or whatever people say, um, that you have an idea. Like, well, what what could the downside be? Or why might this not be a good idea? So you're prepared because 
that uh, that could really save you. And I know it has me. So anyway, uh, I've got another. I've got another uh, uh, bunch of uh, guests lined up to record. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to get those released. Thank you as always for joining me. Uh, don't forget to like, follow, share, and all those fun things to help um, slowly, slowly building an audience. And it's been fun. It's been fun seeing um, seeing that grow and in hearing your your kind feedback, comments, and support. So thank you as always. You know, don't don't hesitate or you know, keep keep moving toward your dreams and thinking about what you want thinking about what you have in your life and what you might be able to free up or get rid of to give you the space to pursue your dreams and in the process, enjoy your journey. Thank you. 